Today's title of our fifth week, final week of hashtag winning is teamwork makes the dream work. And we've been talking about when you look at a person's life and you see a successful individual, there's always more to the story. How many know that to be true? And like an iceberg in which you only see the 10% of the iceberg above the water and 90% of its volume is underneath the water, there is more to a person's story. And if you're going to find success or winning in your life, both as a Christian in general with your relationships and the business or the career that you're in and the friendships and the communities around you, then you're going to have to pay attention to the below the surface type stuff. And we've had a lot of fun this series. We've had different people. We've highlighted it. Dr. Lori and her story. And last week, uh, Blake, our MMA champion that attends Emmanuel and, uh, and uh, I heard he won um, and in his boxing match, TKO, this week in Duluth. So, um, and uh, t- today we're going to have the privilege of having one of our Emmanuel teammates who's successful in the Minneapolis public school system. Karan Cunningham was chosen by the su- superintendent of schools to reopen a closed middle school in North Minneapolis. Her story has received national attention. Why don't you watch this clip? You can see her amazing story. A new middle school in North Minneapolis promoted its first eighth graders to high school. Franklin Middle School opened this past year with hundreds of students from eight different schools. Franklin has a new look, a new mascot, and a new school song. Most importantly, it has a new way of teaching students to be the best that they can be. WCCL's Reg Jackman spoke at today's promotion ceremony and shows us what they're doing that is making a difference. One by one, Franklin Middle School 8th graders were called to the stage to be promoted to high school. It's the first time in nearly 10 years students walked the auditorium stage. Principal Karan Cuttingham had the task of building the school from scratch. We have the most diverse staff in the district. I have 19 licensed staff of color. Cuttingham handpicked her staff, a staff she calls the best she's had as a principal. I wanted to make sure that I hired staff that really were committed to the working would be committed to our students, but also would understand that it was going to be a challenge. Franklin sits in a part of North Minneapolis plagued with crime. 96% of students qualify for free or reduced lunch, but students' test scores are amongst the best in the district. Students also had an opportunity to identify the type of classes that they wanted to take. And uh, with that, I gave them the framework of us being a STEAM school. Franklin students can now focus on science, technology, engineering, arts, and math courses, something parents say has made a difference for their children. It's just amazing to see her, you know, transition into such a beautiful young lady and she was she made honor roll. Aquella Williams says teachers and staff at Franklin have made it possible for her daughter Jakia to focus on her future. Compared to where she came from and where she is now, I mean, it's helped her as far as academics. She's into school because Jakia was the type she never liked to read. She never, she just wanted to stay in her room and Franklin has it's brought her out. Cunningham is one of the principals from Minneapolis who've been selected to be part of President Obama's My Brother's Keeper initiative. That initiative focuses on mentoring young people. Yeah. So we have the esteemed Karan Cunningham here, and she gets to attend and worship each week. But now we got her on the platform, and it's been quite a year for you. National attention, the news media, and then you, you guys went to the White House, I heard. Back in June, yes. You went back to the White House. So listen up. 
Emmanuel has been in the White House. Hello. What a year. And uh, the accolades are coming in because there's been success in the lives of students as uh, schools rebirthed. It had gone away, it had been closed, and the superintendent and the, the leadership of the district said, we need a good leader to go in there and kind of reimagine it and rebirth it. So you went in a couple years ago before the, everything happened, jumped in, talk a little bit about what that experience was like, jumping back in before we saw what we just saw on the screen. Well, um, at first I was already at another middle school in Minneapolis, and I was really starting to see a difference that we were making in um, just reframing that school and started to get the buy-in with the staff. I started adding my team. And then when I was asked three years ago to leave that school and then open uh, Franklin, I was not on board. You weren't? No. (laughs) (laughs) And I had gotten comfortable, you know, in my old assignment. And um, so I was asked twice, and I said, no, thank you. And then the third time, then I figured, okay, well, maybe I need to do this. Mm. Um, and so finally agreed to take on that assignment. Wow. So you kind of had a wrestling match with God over that one, huh? Oh, yeah. You were praying for me a lot. I was praying. I remember you asked me to, so I took yeah. it serious. Now, you jumped back in, but you couldn't do it by yourself. So you had to go into a, a process of hiring people and putting the team together. And You know, the title of today's talk is... Tr- Uh, teamwork makes the dream work you had to put that team together before you ever could accomplish the dreams what was that like for you well it was um, a lot of long night out long hours in the night I uh, conducted 360 interviews um, to basically hire my team and and with people I I did pray for that God would give me the spirit of discernment Mm. to know who should be the right people to be on the team Mm. And I think we did a pretty good job. I think so, too. Now, you put this team together, and you were intentional. Even that last clip kind of showed you were intentional about make, making sure you had people of color mm-hmm. that represented the community, mm-hmm. had the value systems that you cared about. That meant mm-hmm. that not everybody got a yes. Right. So finally, you get to the point, you got the team that's together, and you had to kind of step back and let them lead, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And some of your teachers had ideas and dreams right alongside with you. And um, CARE 11 came in, Channel 11 mm-hmm. came in, and they did a spot on one of your teachers and the impact it made for the whole school. Mm-hmm. So I want Emmanuel to see that. You ready yes, for this? I'm ready. Anything you got to say before we, we watch it? Hold on. <laughs> <laughs> so check out this clip that CARE 11 put together. Janice and Abby, you guys can come on. If you are craving some North Minneapolis positivity. Our first chapter that we read. You have landed. Good job. In the right classroom. That was good, you guys. Let's give another round of applause. He is one of the most positive people I have ever met. You just tied everything together perfectly. Michael Bratch is to his students. So good job, you guys. What that battery is under the hood of your car. You are. Mr. B has jump-started his students learning English as their second language. Excellent job, you guys. To some of the most improved reading scores in the city's public schools. Hey, that was amazing how you guys worked together today. When you have the belief in yourself, then you're able to succeed. The same thinking. You're able to succeed every time. Responsible Carity. for this. We will shoot for the stars with a Franklin rocket. You'll hear more of that song. As a team. But first, you need to see this. 
Franklin Middle School as it's looked for the better part of a decade, shuttered and given up for dead. Good morning, ladies. Till a new principal was tasked last fall with Franklin's revival. I wanted it to be a fresh start. I also wanted the students to have a voice in it. It's always early to class. Which brings us back. You know we're the greatest. To the song. We're taking off like rockets. There is no we're school song. Like this is our chance. Franklin Rockets, you know we the best. Planning began last fall for the song and video just completed. This whole idea with Mr. B's idea. Mr. B's idea intersected with another of his creations. Future Boys and Girls Club. It's written on their shirts. It was handwritten to begin with. Like the scratch pad with the lyrics club members helped create. We're taking off like rockets. I really never sang in front of people before. Like I Me either. Was nervous and then he was like, you have to boost up that confidence in order to make it out there and be heard. As a team, as a team. And he always like everything perfect. Literally perfect. Perfect conduct? Basically. Basically. Perfect grades. <laughs> well, I don't ever expect anyone to be perfect, but I do expect excellence. Expects it. Thank you. Even at a school. Turkey or ham. Where 96% of students qualify for free and reduced lunch. Our um, expectations here is your family's income level does not dictate your achievement level. The principal reason I know. the second year teacher with the MBA is here. I love it. Pledging to run his classroom with CEO professionalism. He's a principal's dream come true. <laughs> when I say professional, we get down to business. No, we the performers only recently saw it. Our face expressions was priceless. Much like that. Come on in, and it's about to get first two rows. even better. World premiere. Franklin, we are going for meet your song. A school resurrected. Its students fueled by their teachers' passion. Consider it the year. Franklin rediscovered electricity. Boyd Hooper, Carol Evan News. Thank you for everything. Minneapolis. Really, honestly, what an amazing job. The power of an amazing, inspiring teacher. Mr. B, though, he had an ace in the hole. He worked in the music industry before becoming a teacher and enlisted several friends to help with the production of the Franklin School song. And get this, Principal Karan Cunningham will be at the White House next month and plans to present a DVD of the Franklin School song to President Obama. Woo! What a story, and Mr. B is here today. Mr. B, would you stand up? Give it up for Mr. B. You can be seated. 
I saw him give glory to God. I saw him mouth that. I love that. I love championing teachers and leaders and people that invest in the next generation. Karan, is there anything else you can say about your team? I could say that the majority of my team, they're Christians. And so um, we have uh, teams that are praying in the school at least twice a week. And so they're praying for me as their leader and for their colleagues. So I give God the glory for that. And I honestly can say it. And I tell my staff all the time, I say, I love you all. I love my team. Mm. She loves her team. What a great leader. What a great example of what it means to be a hashtag winning individual. Because you're helping others succeed. And it's not about you. It's about what's happening. And it's going to continue. And the best is still yet to come. I want to take a moment before, as we end our interview portion today, and to pray for Franklin. You know, we, we, you came in with your family, and we've done this in the prayer service on Wednesday night. If you haven't been to a prayer service, you need to go to a prayer service, because we actually pray. Hello. <laughs> and we pray for people, and that we've prayed for the, the teachers and the students and the community, and uh, we're going to continue to do that. But uh, could you stand with me and... Uh, Mr. B, I want you to come up. I didn't do this in the first service, but I want to, you represent the team. I can't just show Quran and not think of the team up here. What an amazing, amazing, amazing story. And you know what? These, these friends are in the trenches. And there's a lot of people that want to put down education, and to, but they're fighting for kids that nobody's fighting for. They're believing in kids. And you know what, Emmanuel? We're going to believe in them. We're going to fight with them. Amen? We're going to. And so I want to just pray. I want to lead a prayer. And I want you to feel the prayer. And I want you to tell the story back to your school that we prayed. Emmanuel prayed for Franklin Middle School. Jesus, we thank you today. We thank you for our friends who are diligently laboring as unto you is they serve each and every person, every individual, Lord, that is so valuable in your sight. We thank you for the value of the team. It's not one person doing it. It's everybody laboring together. And we pray, God, that there would be a, re a renaissance in North Minneapolis and that it would happen through the children and it would reach the families and it would make a significant difference. And we ask, God, that you continue to do what only you can do. Do miracles. Astound us. Go outside the lines and, and create something new, a fresh start. And we pray, God, that you continue to strengthen the staff, faculty, families, and students. We're behind them, and we ask your blessing on them. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen, amen. Thank you. One more time, give it up, these amazing leaders. Amen. You can be seated. Teamwork really does make the dream work. It's not the superstars that make the difference. It's the team, all of the parts working together. When it comes to football, which I tend to talk about quite a bit, you'll watch on the screen tonight or perhaps you'll be attending a game. I was reminded of a quote from Bud Wilkinson. In football, you have 22 players on the field desperately in need of rest, being cheered on by 50,000 spectators in the stands desperately in need of exercise. <laughs> How true is that, huh? 
How true is that? Now here's the difference between that experience and what we're gonna talk about today. And that experience, the 50, 70, 100,000 people in the stands are cheering on 22 people who are working hard. In the body of Christ and the teamwork that Jesus is looking for, we're all on the field. And that there isn't room for us to go into theater Christianity where all we do is observe it, watch it on the platform, walk out, and we've paid our essential movie fee when we've put some, a couple coins in the offering plate. But when Jesus looks at his church, he looks at a group of people that he wants to win and win with his purposes and win together as a team. We need each other. And each person is going to have to do their part. If you want to win it, you want to live out a winning story, you cannot forget the essential component of the team. And today I want to just talk about three teams that we are all on, okay? The first one is Jesus' team. The Bible refers to it as the body of Christ. When you are a follower of Jesus, you are adopted into his family. You're on Jesus' team. Turn to the person next to you and say, you're on the team. Okay. The second team is your family and the close networks, or your home team, I like to call it. Because we're all connected to a group of people. Perhaps if you're in a family, your family is your connection. Some people here, the church is actually their family as well. And when we are considering what the Word of God has to say, the Word is not only applicable to church activities, it also plays out in the arena of your family or your close network of friends, your posse, if you will. The third is at work or school. And those are the arenas outside that you are forced to attend or have to attend. And that's where we have a mission to be salt and light. That's the place where we are on teams, we are connected to other people. And that's how Jesus looks at us as he considers what we are meant to be. Often we can segment ourselves out and not consider ourselves to be on the team. We're just observers, we're spectators, and we miss out on the value of what Jesus wants to do in and through our lives. In Ephesians chapter four, I want you to turn there with me today, Paul, is one of the coaches, if you will, sent to speak to the team, the body of Christ. And he's sent to communicate things that are important for the team to succeed. And he describes the process of how it happens and some of the most important things for you and I to make sure are in our lives if we are going to be successful ourselves. Starting with verse 11, it says, now these are the gifts Christ gave to the church, to the team. The apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers. And by the way, when you see each of those titles, they actually refer to people who God sends to the church to help the church do what the church should be doing. They're coaches, not players. They are meant to be the ones that Equip others to do this. And we'll look at that in a second. But when you, when you hear pastor, pastor does not mean pastor does the ministry for me. You need to consider pastor to be the teacher, coach, looking at and want, wanting the team to succeed. It says, 
Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. This will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. I love that language. That's kind of Mr. B's language when he says, I do expect excellence. Did you know that Jesus does expect us to give our best? To not just slouch off and, and not go halfway. That he wants us to step up. Verse 14, then we will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever. They sound like the truth. Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. Now, this is interesting because Paul is saying, as a coach, if you will, that Jesus has placed you in the body. I'm using instead of the metaphor of the body today, I'm saying the team. He's placed you on his team and he wants you to grow up and become mature in him. It is my desire that everyone that attends Emmanuel, everyone that becomes a part of the story of what God is doing here, that we grow up and we become mature, that we don't just have bottles in our mouth for the rest of our lives. Hello. It's okay early on. It's not okay to be have, have your diapers changed when you're still 22 years old. Hello. We want you to grow up okay we want you to mature and then we are to not be confused or tricked by people meaning there are other voices out there that are going to try to get you to join their team or accomplish their purposes Paul would say that you and I have a responsibility to stay in tune with Jesus the head of the body it's our responsibility to listen to him and our coaches are here to help us stay in tune with what Jesus is saying to us as a team Verse 16 then says this, he, Jesus, makes the whole body fit together perfectly. As each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. I love this language because, and it's, it's referenced in other places in Romans and in 1 Corinthians 12, and the, the, the reference is that each part has a purpose, okay? And we're not all the same. You and I are different, but we all fit in the body. And it's essential that all the parts are functioning together if the whole team or the whole body is to succeed. You and I need each other to step up and be who God has designed us to be or each of us suffer, okay? We need each other. In fact, turn to the person next to you and say, I really need you. I really, really need you. See, together, everything is possible. Growth, though, growth happens in the context of connection to other team members. It happens, that's where it happens. Each part ministering to the other parts. Each team member working together. I'm confronting a fallacy of modern American Christianity when I'm talking about this. Because modern American Christianity has this mindset that what we do as the team, as a body, is we go to a service, we go through the motions, we worship and we pray, 
we observe the pastor perform on the field, then we leave and then that's Christianity. Friends, that's not Christianity. What you are in right now is the locker room. And when I'm in here talking to you, I'm talking about what's going to happen when you leave the locker room and it's time to step out on the field and be the church. He's building us as a team. Some of you might not feel like you have value yet. Or perhaps you feel like you've destroyed your value or you don't know other people. But I would say this, whether you're here for the first time this week or you've been here for 53 years of our church history, all of us need each other. And we need to be able to step up and engage in the mission that Jesus is calling us to. And he will shape us even if we feel a little bit underprepared. Now, some of you know that I've been a football coach at little league level for many different years. I'm missing it right now this fall. But I can recall the greatest leadership challenge of my entire life. It was way back when I coached a second and third grade football team. And uh, it was like herding cats, let me tell you. And the way they set these leagues up is typically you take kids that had played in second grade and they stay on that same team or they're on a team uh, when they're in third grade so they can help train up and strengthen the second graders that are learning the sport. However, there are also commissioners and coaches who like to stack their teams and they handpick the kids before it ever starts. And I was handed a team that was not stacked, it was the opposite of stacked. This team had 15 players. The 15 players of the 15, 14 of them were second graders, okay? Of the 15, all of them had never played football before. Typically, they balance the team so that you have larger kids and smaller kids both together. The larger kids that reach a certain weight get a red stripe on their helmet because they're not allowed to carry the ball because they might kill somebody. <laughs> I had no red stripers on my team. I think, I, I, I can't remember the exact poundage, but I think the heaviest kid on my team was 67 pounds. It was crazy, okay? And I got this team, and of that team, Nobody knew what they're doing. And then on top of that, I had a couple of the kids that are, I'm still cheering them on in life. They're amazing kids. And they wanted to give a stab at football, but they were autistic. And so I had to engraft them into our, our team. And I was so proud of our kids because they, they saw that those autistic teammates as full-fledged teammate members. And we cheered them on. But that was a part of my composition. And every player had to start at some point or another. Every player had to play. And so I had this team. And then on top of that, I had parents who th thought that their son should be the quarterback. <laughs> because the dad was never a quarterback but wished he was when he was younger. <laughs> I know nobody's ever heard of anything like that, right? So I got the pressure for these kids. We were steamrolled the entire year, 0 and 8. Outscored 217 to like 16 or something like that. I think we scored two touchdowns. It was 
it was crazy. I remember going home that after that first practice, I said, Lord, just take me now. <laughs> I'm like, I don't know if I can do this, you know. But I, I'll, I'll tell you this. When, when God puts you on a team, you don't wish to be on a different team. You accept the team that you're on. As a coach, I had a responsibility right off the bat to decide this is my team. And not whine and complain and look at other things and sit in jealousy. But my responsibility was these 15 young men to help them make it through without ending up in the ER, <laughs> to somehow love football or at least have a good self-image of themselves, to have confidence building in them. And so I worked at it year after year. Four years later, the kids hit sixth grade and we made the championship. And we went all the way and we got the title. Now, I can tell you, we still didn't have more talent than anybody else. But what made us different was these kids stuck it out. And we got a few kids each year drop out and some new ones join us. But what made them significant was is it was all the players together. We were in it together. And when it comes to growth in the body of Christ and you are placed in God's team, you need to go, I embrace the team I'm on. And I, and, you know, I talked about the three teams earlier. You need to first embrace the team that you're in here at Emmanuel. But you also need to embrace the family that you're in and not push them out. You need to embrace the place where you work or you go to school or the place that you have to work, be around others. And instead of whining and complaining, why don't you embrace the team you're on? Suck it up and say, I'm on the team. I'm on the team. Turn the person next to you and say, suck it up. <laughs> I bet you've never heard that in church before, right? See, the, the Bible is really a manual to help us succeed on the teams. It's, it's, it's set up to help us consider how to be connected to the mission of God here in the church, how to, how to be a good family member. Perhaps you weren't trained in how to be a father or a husband or a wife or, a, or even just to be an individual in relationships. The Bible, if you look at it, it's over and over and over again telling you how to be a good teammate how to be good on the team. And it really starts with the heart of God. You see, God is into team. His language is we. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, it says, then God said, let us make human beings, or let us make man in our image to be like us. I don't want to go into Trinitarian theology here at the moment, but God thought in terms of we right off the bat. And then he chose to partner with people like Abraham, and then he brought other people into the story. And he told them that your descendants will be like the sands of the seashore, like the stars in the sky. And he started bringing more and more people in the team. Moses shows up and, and God chooses Moses to lead the people of Israel. But then he uses his brother and his sister to be a part of the story. And then he had to raise up elders of the people of Israel to, to lead the nation. And, and then people like David who had his army of mighty men. Jesus himself formed a team when he showed up and he started his ministry. He started going and picking people out and they were a part of his story. If you want to be a loner, you can't be in the kingdom of God. You are going to be a part of a team. No Lone Rangers. Nobody pulling away. Jesus, after he left, 
He left the mission with the team. And then the New Testament is focused on helping people find Jesus and then learning how to be a part of his body, how to be a part of his team. It's essential that you see yourself as on the team, that you have a place, and then that the team wins together. It's essential for you to see yourself on the team. I want you to turn to the person next to you, look them in the eyes and say, you are on the team. Come on, do it. You are on the team. 1 Corinthians 12 says, There are different kinds of spiritual gifts, but the same Spirit is the source of them all. There are different kinds of service, but we serve the same Lord. God works in different ways, but it is the same God who does the work in all of us. See, he works us together to win. And there are things that help a team win. Things like pulling for each other and not being selfish about it, but championing other people. In the New Testament church, there were kind of camps of people, people that followed Paul, and people followed this guy named Apollos, and people, they got, which one's better? My church is better than your church kind of thing. And Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 5, after all, who is Apollos? Who is Paul? We are only God's. Servants. Whose servants are we? God's servants through whom you believe the good news. Each of us did the work the Lord gave us. I planted the seed in your hearts and Apollos watered it. But it was God who made it grow. It's not important who does the planting or who does the watering. What's important is that God makes the seed grow. The one who plants, the one who waters, works together with the same purpose. And both will be rewarded for their own hard work. What he's saying is we have to learn to be comfortable with the kingdom championing other people. It's a part of a kingdom value. There's a guy named Barnabas in the New Testament, and maybe you haven't read much on it, but in the book of Acts, it talks a lot about him. In fact, in Acts 11, 24, it says, Barnabas was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and strong in faith. But what he was noted for was that he used his position of influence and authority to benefit other people. He would advocate for other people. He advocated for Paul. He advocated for other leaders who would have had a harder time making their way in. Did you know that as Christians, we should not be satisfied with our position in church or in our job or in our, our, our family even to the neglect of helping other people along? Perhaps God would use you in your position of influence to champion someone else. You can be a Barnabas too. And I believe that that's a team value that we need to adopt. But if we don't, there are things that would make us lose on the field, values that make us lose. In 2 Corinthians 6, it says, don't team up with those who are unbelievers. How can righteousness be a partner with wickedness? How can light live with darkness? What harmony can there be between Christ and the devil? How can a believer be a partner with an unbeliever? Now, this is a really difficult uh, passage to go at when you begin to think about it in context of your friendships and relationships outside of church. Is Paul saying that we can't be friends with people who don't know Christ when we're supposed to be reaching them with the gospel? No, that's not what he's saying. What he's saying is, is that you need to consider who your partners are. 
If you're laboring together, another version says, don't be unequally yoked, meaning like two oxen on a farm and they've got a yoke across them. Don't be laboring with people that when they turn this way, you got to turn with them. Be concerned about who you're linked to at a deep level. Who is your heart level first team? Who is your heart level first team? Christians are to recognize who their team is. And Jesus' principle was that his purpose was to bring light into darkness, not to be partners with the world and have our light dimmed. Friends, in our relationships around us, a bedrock principle is your first team is Jesus' team. Your first team, even over family, is Jesus. Okay? Now, I'm not going to take that out of balance and say that the church is more important than family, but I think we've flipped it the other way around in our modern-day culture, and family has become God. And we don't go to church, and then we're raising kids who haven't gone to church because everything else was more important, and then when they grow up, they don't have faith themselves. You need to remember that your first-level, heart-level team is Jesus' team. Can I get an amen? And if not, you're in trouble. Galatians chapter 5 verse 19 says, When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery. Here we go. Hostility, not a good team value. Quarreling, not a good team value. Jealousy, an awful team value. Outburst of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division. Friends, are you getting this? If you follow the sinful nature, the desires of your heart will destroy your ability to be a good teammate. Without the spirit, you will unconsciously destroy the benefits of being on a team. You'll lose it. You lose those benefits, but the antidote to the sinful nature's desire is the fruit of the Spirit. It goes on to say in Galatians 5, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. So if you find yourself struggling with being a good teammate in your family, in your marriage, with your children, with your boss at work, or with the teammates around you, if you find yourself struggling, chances are you're battling your sinful nature. And the antidote is to belly up to the bar of heaven, hello, and say, Holy Spirit, I need the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit enables you to have patience instead of anger. The fruit of the Spirit gives you self-control instead of being so greedy that you consume and overwhelm all the people around you. That is your hope. So let me give you a challenge today as I conclude my message. My challenge is to step up and bring everything you can to your three teams. You need to step up and bring everything you can to, you know what? Nobody likes to be on a team with somebody that's halfway in, that shows up late to practice, kind of puts together a halfway effort, really doesn't care about the outcome. You don't want a teammate like that, so don't be a teammate like that. But step up on Jesus' team. The church needs you. Step up in your family, your close home team, the friendships that you have. Step up at work 
or at school where you're called to be mission and light. And you're going to bring three things. This is the takeaway today. I want you to bring three things. I want you to bring to your team humility. It's one of the greatest team values that Scripture talks about, that Jesus is the personification of. It's not arrogance, because no one is bigger than the team. Have you ever been on a team with somebody, all they do is talk about themselves? It's always all about them, and you don't want to be around them? Don't be that. Don't be that. Insecurity drives that. You don't need the approval of the people around you. You have the approval of your Father in heaven. You are a child of God bought with the precious blood of Jesus. But the other end of it could be just as bad. Some people, they lack self-confidence to such an extent that they have false humility. And they pull back from giving their all because they think they're not good enough. And I just want to confront that because I think that's a greater problem on teams. When people are on the team, whether they be on Quran's team at the school, my team at the church, or your team in your family or at school, and they're on the team, but they're pulling about 50% of what they could be pulling. And they're holding back. They're apathetic. They're kind of halfway in. And maybe in their mind, they've got these little mind games going on saying, well, uh, somebody else is better than me. I, 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 I've blown it. I've done too many bad things. And they've let their own internal fight prevent them from being the teammate that God is developing on the inside. You can do everything through Christ who gives you the strength. You can be a full-on team member. You can be a great husband. You can be a great wife. You can step up to the plate and bring what you need to to McDonald's tomorrow if you have to work at McDonald's and you have to flip hamburgers. You can be the greatest hamburger flipper since Jesus walked the earth. Come on, somebody. That's what I'm saying. You can do that. It's strength of their bit and bridle. It's saying, I don't have to play a certain role to be all the way in. I'll embrace whatever role you ask me to take on. Like Lecrae said, I can play the background. Come on. <laughs> secondly, secondly, hunger. Hunger. Hunger is the desire to succeed and to grow to win. Not for selfish gain, but uh, out of a belief that we are not the tail, we are the head, the children of God. We are meant to do great things. And the best teammates bring it every day. They don't back off because they woke up on the wrong side of the bed. They've got hunger. They desire for something to happen. That needs to happen on each of your teams. Maybe you need to re-engage and show excitement about your family. Perhaps you need to be appreciative that you have a job. Somehow, students need to remember that they're called to be salt and light at their local middle and high schools. Come on, somebody. And instead of whining and complaining and somehow not being hungry and just going through the motions, why don't we step up and do what Mr. B said, show some excellence, and go, we can do more. And let me just speak to the church. In the church, we are in need of a church that hungers for Jesus' mission and becomes more excited about that in everyday life. See, 
Every church starts as a church plant. Every church starts as a church plant. A group of people go gather together and they decide, I want to reach a group of people that nobody else is reaching. And as they get together, they are desperate for people. So everybody gets a job. You get people that sign up and they're a part of the church plant and they're on the worship team, but they can't sing yet. You know what I'm talking about? You got people that you're not even sure if they know where Genesis is in the Bible that are teaching Sunday school class because they're ready to go step up or whatever. In the church plan situation, everybody gets involved because everyone is needed. But as a church grows and goes by the decades as Emmanuel has, we reach different stages where other people do the ministry, play on the field for us. We get satisfied with a worship team on a platform or somebody else that hands out the bulletins and at the doors or somebody else that serves coffee or, or works with the children and, and pours their life into our kids' ministry, our youth ministry, or, or works with recovery ministry or works with whatever ministries we've got in our Hispanic ministry going on. And we can sit back and we can let the paid staff do whatever they want to do and we feel satisfied when we go home. Somehow our conscience is clear. We did our church time, so we go back and do our other time. But when you look at the Bible, there's no such thing as paid staff in here. There's no such thing as a great service in here and a sound system and lights. All you see is the coach, the apostles, the, the pastors, the teachers, the evangelists, called of God to call out to the church, the body, the team, to get up and do the work of the ministry. There has to be some form of hunger to desire to be engaged in what God is doing. This is why we're doing the connect group thing. I want to get you connected to other believers outside of the sanctuary. Get out of the locker room and start connecting with people. See yourself as a part of the mission of God. You matter to more than just me. We don't just count big numbers at a church and say, well, we had such and such a number of people. That was successful. You know when we are successful? When I know every person in the church is connected to the body of Christ, receiving the nurturing power from the head who is our head coach, Jesus Christ. I'm about to preach up on you now. Friends, you and I have sat back in theater religion far too long, satisfied with somebody else out on the field getting exhausted while we need the exercise sitting up in the stands. Step up and bring everything you can to your three teams. Finally, the front of the jersey awareness. You need to bring the front of the Jersey awareness. I have with me a Teddy Bridgewater Jersey. Okay. Just provoking today. Um, in sports, they measure who sells the most jerseys, the Teddy Bridgewater Jersey, the different athletes that are out there. And a lot of athletes, you don't want the athlete that only cares about the back of the Jersey. It's not about the one individual. You want the teammate who thinks about the whole team. And on the front of the jersey is the team name, okay? I don't know who you're pulling for tonight if you are. Some of you are neutral. Some of you are going to hang out with the snacks in the kitchen the whole time. <laughs> Tell the truth. 
Shame the devil. <laughs> the uh, Vikings may or may not win tonight. You see, it's getting real up in here. Maple Grove, somebody just said that they will not. In the Old Testament, they stoned the prophet whose prophecies did not come true. So we'll see what happens. <laughs> here's, here's what I, I want. I want you and I to become aware of the rest of our team. Start noticing your family. How they doing? Are you bringing to your family what you need to be bringing? Start noticing the people you work with, the people you go to school with, your friends, your posse. Are you bringing to them what they need? Be aware of the rest of the team. Notice how they're doing. Theodore Roosevelt said the most important single ingredient is in the formula of success is knowing how to get along with people. If you want to make it and you want to be successful, then you got to become aware of your teammates and to champion them, to be a Barnabas, to believe the best for them, to dream for your team to take off like rockets for your church team, for your home team, and for your worker, your school team. Would you stand with me today?